Previously on Stargate SG-1. First of all, I regret to inform you that everyone on your team are all deceased. The year is now 2077. It's okay, Dr. Carter. You're in the SGC. You're going to be fine. It's okay, Dr. Jackson. You're in the SGC. You're going to be fine. Where are the rest of us, you want? I don't understand. Who would have spent enough time in the base to be able to reproduce it in this kind of detail? Silence! We are quietly building our forces before the system lords even know that we are ruling. Doing so is difficult when we have to operate with limited knowledge of the state of the Empire. Let me take a guess. It's just a wild guess. But that's where we come in. Welcome back to Dead Zone Weekly. Ah, sorry, Stargate Weekly. I'm Stuart Hollis. And I'm Thad Haight. This week we're talking about Season 3, Episode 1, Into the Fire. Yeah, we got out of that frying pan and now we're in the fire. Haha. And we're also joined this week by Ashley V. Robinson. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Uh, people may be familiar with Ashley from... Geek History Lesson podcast, uh, and the comics Jupiter Jet, and a new one that Ashley will be talking about later. That's right. <laughs> but uh, right now, uh, what does TV Guide say about this episode, Stuart? TV Guide tells us, O'Neill, Jackson, and Carter are held hostage by alien temptress Hathor, queen of the conquering golds. Is she really much of a temptress at this point, though? No, no one's tempted by anything he does. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Stargate Weekly, in its usual verbose manner, is... Well, or not Stargate Weekly. We're Stargate Weekly. We are also verbose, though. The Stargate Wiki, in its usual verbose manner, is... While Captain Samantha Cotter and Dr. Daniel Jackson try to escape from Escal... Do we ever actually hear the name Escal in the episodes? Because I don't think we do. I don't even know if they give us, like, the P3X... 927 or you know any of that yeah so o'neill is implanted with a gold teal who left stargate command seeks help on chulak to assist sg1 there there he has an unexpected volunteer major general george s hammond why is o'neill just o why'd they give away the hammond reveal yeah <laughs> they're like you know who jack is so come on <laughs> right but you may not be sure who this bald guy is who runs the show yeah, truly. We've only seen him every other episode for three years so far. Right. So was that it? Was that the synopsis? That was the synopsis. Uh, so the Stargate Wiki doesn't mention when Escal gets mentioned, uh, but the fact that it doesn't say it comes from some other source means it must have been in the episode at some point. 
It also does give its its designation of P4Z326. Cool. I'll not remember that in three seconds. Yeah, sure. Why would you? <laughs> I've already forgotten. So this originally aired June 25, 1999. Mm-hmm. Who directed it? Uh, directed by Martin Wood. Uh, we definitely are seeing in Stargate that we are just getting the same people directing and writing over and over again. Uh, uh, so uh, we're not going to go deep into Martin Wood's oeuvre. We have talked about him before. Uh, it was written by Brad Wright. Again, a name that has come up multiple times and will continue to come up. Yeah. All right. So first questions first, Ashley. Yeah. Have you ever seen Stargate SG-1 before? <laughs> oh, man. Um, I told you with the use of an expletive in an email that I really, really like Stargate. As a Canadian, I'm contractually obligated to be into it. That makes sense. But nice. Yeah, yeah. I started watching it toward the end, I think around the time season eight or nine was airing, because my very first ever boyfriend was really into it. And it's one of those shows that it's been on for so long at that point that you're like, I guess I'll give in and watch this. And it gives me the same feels that Star Trek gives me, that rooted in actual science or actual mythology, but crazy adventure and I love uh, nerds, which is I don't think is surprising. <laughs> so Daniel Jackson was one of my big crushes for a long time. I actually had a pair of jeans in high school that I wrote the Stargate script out on. And I wrote like song lyrics in the script, which is not cool. I, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of cool. It's cool to us. <laughs> sure, it's yeah. It's not cool to all the jocks and the normies. <laughs> uh, whatever. Uh, there probably aren't too many of them listening to the Stargate podcast, so I think we're Screw okay. Screw those guys! <laughs> I mean, Thad and I met each other back in high school in Quiz Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> which is like a trivia club, so yeah. <laughs> we were not part of the jock group. Uh, me either. I was. Uh, I was one of those cool drama kids. Oh, boy. so right off the bat i have a bit of an issue with how this episode starts with the previously on no that's okay (laughs) i don't think that's how that other episode went down (laughs) but it just feels very fortuitous that the episode just opens with colonel makepeace running in and telling us exactly where sg1 is yeah I think it also heralds how the whole rest of the episode is going to be. Like, the episode is not objectively bad. I think there are worse episodes, but it feels messy and it feels disorganized in a way that, as someone who works in entertainment, like, makes me really anxious. Yeah, there's a lot of different stuff happening in this episode that all kind of gets tied together at the end. But, yeah, it just... Honestly, while watching this, I'm like... Wow, this is all packed into a 45-minute episode? Because there's so many different things happening. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be honest. I actually was like just like so caught up in everything that was happening. I didn't ha- like give myself much time to think, gosh, there sure is a lot of stuff happening that's all happening really conveniently. Like, oh, there's a Tok'ra inside the base. Oh, and they built tunnels. And <laughs> Yeah. Also, Teal'c is uh, Che Guevara now, all of a sudden. Well, well I mean, that's... I, I was wondering that. when that was going to kick off because it's definitely a a recurring story note that's going to be with us until 
practically the end of the show. Yeah. I guess I just forgot how quickly, like, that turn happened so fast, where he's like, I don't work for you anymore, see you later, and then he's giving his speech, which I think Chris Judge really kills, like, he does such a good job with that speech. Yeah, unfortunately, it was largely ineffectual, he only got, like, three people and Who were already on his side. Probably. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Well, that's because... He'll get there, I I have faith, something tells me he's gonna get there. Yeah, no, he will. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I was just happy to see Makepeace and Walter again, jumping back to the beginning of the episode. Walter still doesn't have a name, though. Oh, really? I didn't notice that. Yeah, no, he was just Sergeant. Oh, I love Walter. That makes me so sad. Yeah, it's a recurring theme on on our show that we love Walter, who doesn't have a name yet, and we don't get Mm -hmm. to see him nearly as much as we think that we will. Because he's been in... What was it, Thad? Like, 150 episodes or something? But it's, it's, like, super sparse in the first three seasons? Yeah, like, he shows up a lot in the first season, but then in the second and third, it's just every... He's only in, like, three or four episodes. Yeah. Uh, that's why one of our episodes in season two was called Wandering a Walterless Wasteland. Oh, poor Walter. <laughs> but yeah, we do get it. And I, I like to see Major Davis again. That was cool. Yeah, who I guess is sort of part of the SGC now? Was he, like, put there by the Joint Chiefs to... Yeah, he does... He's, like, the Pentagon liaison or something Okay, for the SGC, but yes, he definitely is involved with the SGC and works in DC, though. Okay. And and we'll, we'll see him repeatedly over the next few seasons, and I like Major Davis, and I like the actor who plays him, whose name escapes me. Yeah. Was that actor on the Dead Zone, Stuart? Yes. <laughs> I believe he was. I'll double check. I think you've actually said, you actually already said that he was in the past, but I can't, I couldn't remember for sure. <laughs> You're caught. I had used the technician before, and the, like, the Gould, like, the Gould underling, the General Trotsky or whatever. Um, he was on Trotsky. Dead Zone. <laughs> no, that, I think that was the name he gave. Trotsky. And I said Trotsky. I, was I wasn't like, that far off. Like the political guy figure who took an axe to the back of the head? Yeah, that's why I was <laughs> laughing, because I was thinking of the, the Soviet who Stalin murdered. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't gotcha. an axe. It was an ice pick. I'm sorry to all of our uh, Soviet political fans out there. We actually legitimately do have a, like a few Russian fans. We do. Awesome. Yeah. No, who Hello, are like Russia. super dedicated. <laughs> the actor's name is Colin Cunningham, by the way. That's right. Yeah, so Major Davis and Hammond are talking when Makepeace bursts in, and we had just heard the general saying that they need at least three more SG teams. Mm-hmm. Is that some unfortunate foreshadowing of the fact that they're about to lose a bunch of dudes? <laughs> <laughs> That's like some Star Trek red shirt level. Like, okay, well, at least two of those guys, two of those teams are done. That probably explains why half the teams are medical. They have so many casualties. <laughs> Yes, some some diligent fan somewhere or series of fans have put together like a master list of all twenty three SG teams, and like no joke, like half of them are medical. There's another like two or three search and rescue teams. Yeah, I would imagine you'd need more than that. They get lost all the time, and they get slugs in their brains, and they fall asleep. Like just a usual yeah. day for Stargate. Yeah, completely. I do have to say that Major Davis 
is when you take emotion out of the equation, Major Davis is right that they should not be devoting the entire resources of the SGC to rescuing SG-1. Absolutely. Like, that's one of those, um, I know I keep referencing Star Trek, but that's like a Spock moment. Like, the needs of the many, the needs of the few. Yes. And I know we're supposed to feel mad in that moment, and I probably did the first time I saw it, because you know, there are heroes and the characters that we love, but they've all, you know, SG-1 often expends resources that I don't think they have (laughs) maybe not access to, but they maybe aren't deserving of. Like, they screw up a lot. (laughs) Which probably happens in uh, alien-type situations, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you look at the risk-reward, how many times have they saved saved the planet? I mean, you know. You know, the the maths on that would be really interesting. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the... What I want to know is, yes, they've saved the planet many times, but how many of those times were did the planet only need saving as a direct result of SG-1's actions? Fair. Stri- strictly speaking, all of them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because if they hadn't, if they hadn't dialed up the gate the very first time, they would not be on the Gould's radar even a little bit. It's really all Daniel's fault. Well, the very first time it wasn't SG-1, but yes. Actually, no, we find out much later down the road that if they never use the gate, the Goulds still attack. Oh, that is true. All right, yeah. so they're not to blame after all. Well, not for all of it. <laughs> <laughs> Just for most of it. Yes. Yeah, no, there, yeah, there's still plenty of blame to go around. Uh-huh. Oh, so we actually have, uh, as far as I can tell, Colin Cunningham was never on the dead zone, but we do have a slight Star Trek co- uh thing there he was in a the fan series star trek new voyages as captain christopher pike oh interesting that kind of works yeah like i can see it yeah big square big square jaw Mm -hmm. completely unrelated side note how great was the decision to cast anson mount for as pike in discovery oh my god so perfect he's it's like the only thing i'm excited about in discovery season two i'm looking forward to discovery season two and i think that Mount was good casting. Um, I mean, I certainly don't have any ideas of who would have been like a better or different choice. I yeah. Mean, there's like so many actors out there who have done like tiny little things and all of a sudden get like their big break. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, there could have been anybody, but you know, I think in this case, I, I do think Anson Mount was a good choice. But yeah, it's not like he was doing anything else. But this is not a Star Trek podcast, and we do, in fact, have a place for that, so we will mostly leave <laughs> it to that. Right. So back to this episode. Yes. We find out from Makepeace that there is a Tok'ra inside the base who gave them the information they needed. So I wonder if it's possible that it wasn't that Makepeace was just sort of like, they were just like bopping around and happened to go to P4X426? Uh, whatever it was that wasn't it but i'm gonna say i'm gonna say yes <laughs> yeah a, a toker operative made contact with him but it's right weird to me that a toker operative made contact with Makepeace on whatever planet although maybe Makepeace was actually sent the toker had like sent that they wanted to talk to them and make they sent Makepeace because he went alone which was interesting are we sure he went alone? Did the gate close immediately after he stepped through, or he come running through to get the information, and then the rest of the team was ten steps behind him or something? I, th- I don't know if the gate closed, but it certainly felt like he was alone because they're like greeting him and saying when his briefing will happen. Welcome back, Colonel Makepeace. Your briefing is scheduled on fourteen 
30 hours. You also can't be that far behind someone when you're going through a Stargate. I know we're past the frostbite portion of SG-1 history, but so often the iris will close or you'll get flung somewhere else or you got to stick together. It should be like kindergarten rules. You hold hands and you walk on the silver line. Okay, so the gate <laughs> is in fact still active when he runs out of the room. So I can't say for sure. Okay. I mean, you're not wrong. They did say like make peace. Your briefing is at whatever time. So maybe he was sent solo to meet up with one Toker operative on whatever planet who handed over the information. It yeah. does make sense that the Toker, op- Toker operative inside Hathor's organization would have smuggled the information out and not that make peace just happened to gate to that particular planet. Right. Oh, no, absolutely. But it still seems weird. Why wouldn't the Toker just like send someone to Earth? Because that's not exciting television. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. And seeing Makepeace run through the SGC is? Yes. Oh, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're out. You're outvoted here. Okay. Fair enough. That's yeah. the nice thing about having a guest on is that now there's three people going, so you can like outvote people. That's true. Yeah. So we had a question uh, in when we watched uh, Out of Mind. Uh, we were asking whether or not the two fake SGC personnel were Jaffa or not. And the answer is yes, or at least they were both supposed to be Jaffa. Mm. Now, I guess we've already established that not all Jaffa need to have the pouch. Hashtag not all Jaffa, that's funny. Right. <laughs> I, I imagine they probably do have the pouch, um, and I'm guessing they had their forehead marks surgically removed so that they could play the part of SGC personnel. Can a Gould slash Tokra also like have a pouch? That is an interesting question, and It is. I don't think I, I feel like there shouldn't be a reason they can't. But I also doubt that they're going up to these Jaffa and like checking them for pouches. Yeah. I just feel like I feel like the two symbiotes will be in conflict with each other. Yeah, oh, well, yeah, if it had a symbiote, certainly, but I'm like, the pouch, the actual, like... Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no, I know. Yeah. And in the case of the Tok'ra, since she has a symbiote... Yeah. Then she doesn't have to, have to worry about the whole, you don't have an immune system anymore since we cut your stomach open. Right. But they definitely were Jaffa, because Hathor said Jaffa Kree right before the Tok'ra... Yeah. Yeah. I love that that, this is foreshadowing to the end of the episode a little bit, but that's, like, the only phrase that Jack knows. You heard me! I said Cree. Yeah. I think that's super funny. He's been knocking around for a couple of years. You'd think he would have picked up more phrases than that. Well, even if he didn't know what they mean, you'd think he would have a couple in the vernacular, but no. Right. Not at all. Didn't you hear me? I said Cree. Right. (laughs) So good. Such a great... Oh, man. I love Jack bluffing at Alien. Yeah. That was was classic Jack right there. And then when he, like, goes straight into the sarcasm, nice rescue, make peace. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, no, that was good. So many Tok'ra died, uh, or I mean, (laughs) stubbed their toes or something, uh, to get Makepeace the information. (laughs) And then Hammond does the classic, anyone who wants to join in, take one step forward bit, and that was fun. And they all step forward before he even finishes saying it. I mean, obviously. Yeah. That's how these things all, you know, that's how these things play out. Uh And now we cut back to Hathor's base, which I kind of feel like... I feel like that's where the episode should have opened. Yes, I would agree. Since the last one ended there, I feel like this one should have opened there, and then we can mm. cut to make peace running through. I think that would have worked better as well. Yeah. 
Because even with the information of there being a Tok'ra inside the base, I didn't put it together that that woman was the Tok'ra. Like, even when she's added the symbiote. Until she says it. Right, yeah. It wasn't wasn't until she revealed it. Like, two or or three scenes down the line. That's interesting. I would really love to know why they they chose to start the episode the way they did. Yeah, I, I would, too. Unfortunately, the Stargate wiki is not Memory Alpha. If this were Memory Alpha, it would oh, have, man. it would have like, three paragraphs telling us why they ch- chose to do that. But, uh... <laughs> if any of the Stargate EPs want to get on their version of Where is the Voyages, I know three people who will buy it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Read the uh, yeah. heck out of it. And, uh, the thing is, uh, with the later seasons, it's either starting in season four or five... We actually have a commentary for every episode on the DVDs, but for the first few seasons, yeah, we have yeah, yeah. nothing. We're just flailing around in the dark, being like, I don't know, it was weird, what do you want? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of flailing around, I do not care for the CGI Gould. CGI Gould has not aged. Well, it has aged, I'm... just not well. Has any of it aged well? There's a really early episode where Teal has Daniel on his back and they're running over a bridge and you can just tell they're running in place because the blue screen, it wasn't even green screen, is just so shoddy. <laughs> I actually am not sure which episode that is, but I'll definitely take your word for it. Uh, you'll, you'll come across it and you'll be like, oh, that's the nonsense that she was talking about. I would say conversely, though, there's a, a shot fired a little later at Sam and I think that effect has aged pretty well. I thought the shield definitely has a The shield well. looked great. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like the like the big towers coming out of the ground, like the big gun towers. You know, like big gun towers super duper cool, like having to sort of like lean over a little bit so you can put your eye through the targeting thing. Less cool. Yeah. That's bad. That that's uh, that's bad design. By having those fancy targeting things, they weren't very good shots for all that they had those fancy targeting things. I'm fairly certain that staff weapons are just like straight up inaccurate weapons, and they're like they're very much like stormtrooper weapons. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and and uh, and that squares because like with that as well, um, like the stormtroopers never actually aim; they're always like firing from the hip anyway. So it's just sort of like I'm going to fire in that direction. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with the with the staff weapons. Like every so often, you see one sort of like put it up on their shoulder and kind of like sight down the thing and it's this like long involved process and then they can shoot semi-accurately for the most part they're apparently just incredibly inaccurate weapons and the ghoul never bothered to make them more accurate because it's it's a weapon of fear and not anything else Uh, i was gonna say i don't think they wanted to spend that much time teaching most of the extras they were like no this is the way that we really see this working and the way that you should shoot and blah 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 so they're like i don't know do whatever good luck yeah well, they're all, I mean, they're always just, like, drawing on the, like, blast bolts anyway, so. Yeah, yeah. So, But, yeah, the, the effect for those towers, which are apparently called Hatok, even though that's also the name of a ship, I guess it could be used for both in the same way that we name our classes of things for using other words. But I, I just thought it was interesting that the, the head Jaffa guy yells... Hatok, and then those towers come up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was expecting a ship to come down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. So now we're going to cut back to Teal'c, who's apparently back on Chulok. Mm-hmm. Did he say he was going to Chulok? Yes. Because okay. he said that uh, without SG-1, he was no longer needed, and he wanted to return, and yeah, he left in the first one. Oh, uh, yeah, I was coming if he had mentioned where he was going. I think he said he was going to Chulak. 
It makes sense. Anyway, and he comes to what I thought was Dreyok's house. It looks like Dreyok's house. Maybe most of the houses look the same. That's also possible. Yeah. But in, I guess it's instead Braytac's house, because Braytac is in there and surprises Teal'c. Yeah. And Braytac has been beaten up a little bit there. Or maybe a lot bit. Yes, Aww. a lot of bit. <laughs> I really love to- Tony Amendola, and... You know, Braytac, of course, is always, like, a great character to have there on screen. Mm-hmm. He's one of those actors who keeps popping up and stuff, and I'm like, hmm, who is that guy? Why do I know who he is? And then 20 minutes later, you're like, oh, right, Stargate, yeah. Right. He was in uh, The Mask of Zorro. What? Yes. What? What? Uh, um, the guy who plays the reverse Flash on The Flash, who I can see, Matt Lesher, um, is also in Zorro. But very young and doesn't look like he looks now. That's wild. Yeah, break, uh, Tony Amendola was actually in both Zorro movies, uh, both the good first one and the terrible second one, as two different people. What? <laughs> That's insane. That's like some MASH level BS casting where right. they just had Mako back every time they were like, I don't know, you look vaguely Korean. This is the 70s. Who knows? <laughs> That's insane. Yes. Well, good for him. He got a paycheck and that makes me happy. And that's pretty much the only good thing anyone can say about the second Zora movie. Ooh. Oh, yeah, yeah. no. Yeah, no, for real. <laughs> the, I mean, sort of like how Danny Trejo like shows up in all these things yeah because apparently it's like well there's only six hispanic six hispanic guys working in hollywood so we'll just keep recycling them well yeah i mean how many hollywood movies with asian characters don't have john cho in them crazy rich asians that's true that's i haven't one. seen it yet that is one that does not have john cho. i was actually kind of surprised it didn't because it has just about every other hollywood asian actor Truly, I was uh, also surprised that Jackie Chan wasn't in it. And yeah. I'm going to be honest, a little disappointed. I really want him now that he's, uh, you know, in, in, in his fall, I really want to see him come back as just, like, weird cameo actor. Yeah, he would be perfect as a cameo actor. Yeah. Or Jet Li. Yes. Oh, yes. I love Jet Li. Crazy Rich Asians does have uh, the guy that was on Community, though. Um, uh, Ken Jeong, yes. yes. Dr. Ken Jeong. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Dr. Ken Jeong. Yeah. No, he is. No, that's a, that's a true... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, really that's is. a real fact. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Aquafina's in it. Yes, she is. And uh, Ronnie Chang. And Henry Gooling, who's beautiful. <laughs> and uh, Michelle Yeoh, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of Star Trek. Yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. I'll be seeing it uh, tomorrow. It's really good. So I, I look forward to it. I keep hearing it's great. I think you'll, I think you'll enjoy it. I love it. a good rom-com. It is it's a very, very good sweet. rom-com. It's very smart, and it has just the right amount of humor without being over the top, I think. I agree with that, yeah. All right. Welcome to uh, the rom-com podcast. I'm sorry I keep derailing the conversations <laughs> oh, entirely. Oh, don't worry. We're pretty good at doing that all on our own. No, no, I know, is, but I'm the guest, so I feel like fair. it's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> also, I mean... If it weren't for the fact that we can't do a podcast for every single thing we like, I could, I would totally be up for a rom-com podcast. <laughs> oh, man. Hosted by two dudes? That would be so great. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, I just don't know if I, if I have that kind of time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll make it. <laughs> All right. No, I got it. When we launch, When we launch our Patreon, that can be one of the stretch things. 
Oh, okay, yes. that's good. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, yes, do it. I just have Ear to imagine pressure. this like like I'm already doing like I have to like devote like two hours per episode to watch and then watch with notes, and that's before we start recording. Then the editing time. I only have to imagine if we're like start like throwing movies into the mix. Oh, it's god. gonna be like like six hours of prep before we can record. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I will let you in on a secret. Sometimes if I'm pressed for time, I, I, and it's one that I'm familiar with, I just watch and note and notate on my first watch. No, no, it's fine. Some of us are more dedicated than others. That's cool. <laughs> it, yeah, I, I figured you'd say that. Sort of like how the Tokro was super dedicated to ultimately saving Jack's life. Yes, she was. Oh, damn, him again. what a great segue. Yeah, discount Jillian Anderson. Yeah, a oh, little. Yeah. Shady. <laughs> so shady. No, no, no. That's not a. Sh- no, no. That's not really a shade. That's just a. That's kind of who she. What she looked like to me. Uh, who's the? You're also not wrong. <laughs> oh, oh, what? Who's the person that that you got that originally from, Stuart? I got it from a YouTube video that was talking about the movie Battleship. That's right. I saw that piece of crap. Right. And in Battleship, one of the guys on the ship, like not the main character, is this like redheaded guy who the the guy in the video called Budget Matt Damon. He plays the captain on the Black Mirror uh, Star Trek episode. Yes. That's that the guy. only episode Sorry, of Black Mirror I've seen. I don't know what your name is. I'm sure you're great. You just won a creative Emmy. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know his name either, so don't feel too bad. But yeah, so that that's that's where I originally got it from. I think it may have come from Cracked back when they were funny. Oh man, I remember when Cracked was <laughs> Shady. funny. Shady. Yeah, also no, that's true. that's some legitimate shade that's worth throwing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, because apparently, like all their funny people, like quit slash got fired. Yeah, and half their social media posts these days are just ads promoting things. It's like, yeah, they're... Yeah. Yeah, I don't care about Cracked anymore. Hey, speaking of ads promoting things, Ashley, you want to tell us why you're here? Yeah. I would totally love to. Um, not only am I here to be able to, st- to talk about Stargate with somebody who I'm not married to, I'm also <laughs> here to very transparently chat about my new kickstarter which actually just funded so now it's going to happen so it's a pre-order for my second comic book which is called science and it's spelled with an exclamation point so you have to say it like a 1950s radio announcer every single time and we did a series already called Jupiter Jet, and that was science fiction, but more in the realm of technobabble and fantasy science is fiction based on real science facts. So it stars 14-year-old Tamsin Kuhn Trakru, who's the smartest girl in any room, and she's just been accepted to the Prometheus Institute. The name might give away what's going to happen to it by the end of the book. And you would think that she's excited to be there, but she's actually not super excited because in the past her father had been the headmaster there, and he died under mysterious circumstances. But being a super smart science guy, he downloaded his consciousness into her glasses. So you see sometimes a holographic projection of him that's leading her through the process of uncovering the mystery of his demise. But the bummer thing about that is that Tamsin has a really cute roommate who she's trying to kiss up on. And when you're 14, you don't want your dad around watching that and giving you crib notes. And I mentioned earlier that we did want you know, fiction based in science. So we have real human teachers that populate the school, but we also have 
a bunch of cool flying robots that are called STATS. That stands for Science and Technological Assistant Teacher. They're kind of like what if Herbie and Skeets had a baby. And they pop in to give you real science facts throughout the narrative. So if you go to sciencecomicbook.com, that's where the Kickstarter is. We have seven-page preview there. You see a character trying to make rocket boots in the opening sequence, and he doesn't get the ratio right. So a stat pops in to tell you the ingredients in the process of actually making rocket fuel. Shout out to NASA for having that on their website. <laughs> so I've learned a lot reading it, writing it. I'm so sorry. And I hope people will learn a lot reading it as much as they're enjoying the narrative because the rocket boots are part of uh, the subplot where all the students are working on individual projects because they want to win the Prometheus Award for Superior Science. And Tamsin's cute roommate discovers something that would tear a hole in the fabric of space and time. So she has to decide if she's going to help the cute girl or if she's going to protect this found family at this place she never thought she wanted to be. And in the end, all you can ever trust is science. That's my whole pitch. <laughs> well, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it does look cool. I actually... uh I actually donated so that I could get a digital copy of the of it when it comes out because it does look really cool and it is only available through Kickstarter. Is that correct? That is correct. Our first book went with a traditional publisher, so it was available in comic book stores. This time we are working with the Eisner-nominated Bedside Press, who are completely amazing, but they work on a pre-order uh, print basis. So as far as I know, at the time of this recording, it's not going to be through Diamond. It's not going through a comic shop. So the Kickstarter is a pre-order and the only place that you can get the book. And like you mentioned, we do have a digital offering. It's about $10 cheaper. Um, also, if that's too much, because I understand I've super been there, even a dollar helps. More Kickstarters are funded on $1 donations than anything else. And if that is too much, then if you check it out and you think it's cool and you would consider sharing the link, I would be so so grateful because I don't want to shame anyone into donating, but I also want everyone's help. <laughs> sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. But yeah, no, and like you know, the the sample art you sent us, like it, it looks amazing. Mm -hmm. um, did you do the art or? Oh no, I'm okay. just a writer. Um, our okay, artist is a uh, Portland illustrator named Des Pittman. She's really amazing, and she's known for her zombie portraits that she draws at conventions. So she is going to one of our uh, higher tier rewards is you can be either a teacher or a student cameo, and le and she's really great at likenesses. So you'll be able to see yourself in the book, which I think is super super cool. Um, that is. Cool. We also have. Because I thank you. Because I do want as many people to be as involved as possible. Because Kickstarter is a community, just like Patreon is, and just like a fan page is. And a couple years ago, like I was a fan, and now I'm a pro. So we wanted to give people as much opportunity to become or, or dip their toe in comics. So we have a lot of script reviews and a portfolio review from some really amazing pros, like a uh, Tom King, who's a small up and coming writer. He's working on a book called Batman. You might have heard of it. Mm -hmm. uh, or Shay Fontana, so. who wrote Wonder Woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if people are interested in that. They can donate. They'll not only get notes, but you'll get an opportunity to forge a relationship with these people. Um, and they're all, all the people who we included are people who have given us advice. They're very nice. They just want to help. They're really nice people who also have an excellent pedigree. So I highly recommend checking out those reward levels. Sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Thank you. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. So once you're done listening to this or hit pause and check it out right now, sciencecomicbook.com and pitch in if you can, tweet if you can't. It's all, you know, it's all gravy. Totally. All right. Well, now, you know, let's, let's talk Stargate some more. Yeah. Let's do it. So the discount Matt Damon guy, his name is Jesse Plemons. (laughs) Thank you so much for the furious Googling that I could have done and I didn't. (laughs) And yeah, looking at his picture on IMDb, like, he is absolutely a discount Matt Damien in like every possible way. He's great though, so I mean, that's going to get him gigs. He is in fact a legitimate actor. (laughs) He should, you know, if if I was him and I don't think he needs career advice from anyone, um, but I would be like, hey, man, uh, you want to remake The Talented Mr. Ripley? I'm here. <laughs> you need a newborn? I'm right here. <laughs> oh, no. Make the bad Matt Damon movies, but make them good. Ooh. So uh, we made a zoo. Or we, what is it? We bought a zoo. We yeah. are a zoo. Suburbicon. We, oh, geez. Suburbicon. Oh, man. A friend of mine, a friend of mine worked on that movie. I'm sorry. And, uh, sorry. That's okay. No, he got paid. Um, <laughs> that's true. I was, I really wanted to like it. That in the, the, uh, what was his incredible shrinking man movie? Downsizing. I didn't yeah, that looked downsizing, but it wasn't amazing. Isn't it slightly racist? <laughs> well, there was that. Like, yeah. I, I was kind of on board until I, saw a little bit of footage about that and i was like i guess i'm not going to see this movie (laughs) i i mostly enjoyed it but it also was not anything like the much like suburbicon it was nothing like the trailer made it look yeah and sometimes frozen did that and i think it was to the movie success but often that happens to its detriment yeah it's a good thing, though, that for TV shows, they just straight up have to show us what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, I thought the downsizing was going to be a comedy, and it it was not a comedy. Like, not even yeah. a little. <laughs> no, and it just ends, yeah. which was weird. There is that, too. But Like a Stevenson novel. That's true. <laughs> so, back on Chulock. Yes. Teal gives us the gives us our first example of his less than stellar recruiting techniques, which is to punch people who don't agree with him and tell the remaining person, go tell everyone that Teal the traitor is here. You may tell your kinsmen that Teal has returned to Tulak. Yeah, why would he expect that person to actually do that? Well, if the woman has like-minded friends, which she clearly does because they just beat up Braytac. <laughs> uh, then maybe it'd be a chance to get more than three people together mm. to, in turn, beat up Teal'c. Mm. And I guess maybe like once they got to Braytac's house and saw there were 30 of them there, that they weren't 100% sure that everyone would be on their side and they didn't want to incite a riot or anything. I always think the idea that, that anyone is able to beat up Teal'c is super funny because Chris yes. Judge is like... I don't know, uh, forearm is the size of my thigh. Like, he's so big and powerful. Yeah, seriously. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, you know, they can use him like they did Worf in Next Generation, mm-hmm. where, oh, no, if Worf's taken out, this must be serious business. Aw, Worf. I think O'Neill listens to Teal'c's suggestions more often than Picard listened to Worf's suggestions, though. No one listens to Worf until Deep Space Nine. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, those aren't actually, like, Klingon ridges on his forehead. He's just, like, permanently super furrowed over being constantly ignored. Mm. So, back on 
Senec? What was the name S-Cal. of the place? Escal. <laughs> Stupid name. Yes. Uh, we uh, we we do get our our funky looking shield, which looks nothing like any shield anyone's used in the whole show or ever will again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're not wrong. It looks cool though. It's really cool. I wish they would. It's use super it again. cool. Uh, yeah, like why don't the Hatox have that shield? It's apparently impenetrable unless you blow up the like unless you blow up the reactor. Wait, actually, did they use a completely different shield in upgrades? Oh, I can't remember. Okay, Someone so maybe we'll see it in us. upgrades. Yes, <laughs> so maybe we'll see it in upgrades, but because there is a shield in upgrades, it's a big plot point. When you figure it out, will you please will you please email me? <laughs> I just checked; it's the same shield effect in upgrades. Oh, okay. Which means okay, it's so probably be used a, one more time. Which probably yes. means since I remember that one, there's probably like two or three other times that I'm forgetting. Well, we'll have to see if we, <laughs> if we can then remember when we get to those in time to call back to this. Mm. Yes. Yes, please do. Or when I'm listening, I'll tweet you guys and be like, aha, that's that dumb shield, remember? <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. We love interaction. Yeah. That's what the internet's for, right? Exactly. Polite friendly discourse uh, i'm not sure what internet you're on <laughs> oh man the one in my dreamscape <laughs> that's right <laughs> so this is also when the big gun towers pop out of the ground the hatox apparently apparently cool. there's they a are. lot of gu- there's a lot of uh gunfire in this episode i just yeah, want to say is. like i know they're they're often running around doing running shooting techno babble at the same time especially sam but i feel like there's a lot of shooting in this particular episode compared to some of the ones uh, in the previous season. I was going to say earlier in the season, but this is uh, yeah. one. So, speaking of Sam and Runny Shooty Technobabble, where did she get the uniform that she's wearing in the in the later sections of the episode? <laughs> I was I almost said from a replicator. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no that that won't be uh, for a little while. Ah, not. Nice. You're, you know, you're not wrong. <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah, no, that's a good question. Because I think, I want to say that, like, Jackson... Daniel stays no, like... in the weird, funky future uniform. Did he? Oh, man, with his horrible Hamlet, Prince of Denmark haircut. Oh, that right? hair. Daniel looks <laughs> so weird in this episode and the last one. And I'm like, I'm like, why does Daniel look so weird? I'm like, oh, it's it's the hair. That weird hair. Was he... Was he doing a play or was he doing a movie? Like, he had another project that the haircut was for, I believe. Ah, okay. That would I don't make think sense. he just... I certainly hope that as man as good looking as Michael Shanks wouldn't walk around with my first grade haircut and think it was a good idea. It's really <laughs> it's bad. so bad. Yeah, it's a good thing they didn't try to pull a Henry Cavill and, like, CGI his hair shorter or anything, because I'm sure that would have looked even worse than the oh, on a mustache erasing. Are you kidding on me? On a Stargate budget in 1999, that would have looked, uh, looked well, amazingly terrible. I, w- I kind of would have liked to see it, though, now that you've brought it up. I wouldn't hate it. I mean, considering, like, how terrible Henry Cavill's, like, mustache removal looked on Warner Brothers' budget... Yeah. Well, they won't have to worry about anything related to Henry Cavill again. Unconfirmed. That's true. I'm okay. holding out because I love him as Superman, but unconfirmed. I like him as Superman. I do not like any of the movies in which he is Superman. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. No. No bueno. But 
I did like the one line from Jackson when they're escaping into the tunnels. It's like, Jackson, are you all right? It's just a deep bleeding gash, but it'll be fine. Yes, that was good. <laughs> that almost felt like a Jack line. Yeah. It did. It really did. They've been spending a lot of time together. Yeah. But Sam was definitely wearing the, like, cloth white yeah. suit yeah, thing yeah. The, when, they were, when they met up with the SG team. And I guess Makepeace just happened to have an extra set of camo in her size. Yeah, you know, that just, like, ruined, like, the whole episode for me now. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I enjoyed this episode until you pointed out the the only continuity error in the whole thing. Maybe we can assume that since their mission was to go and rescue SG-1 that they brought them extra uniforms just in case? I mean, maybe. Okay. Yeah. It's a stretch. It's a bit of a stretch. But, yeah, I'll, maybe. <laughs> I'll resus- I will resuspend my disbelief. Yes, there you go. But what I don't believe is that the Jaffa who are, like, holding the gate don't do anything with the Malp yes! until, like, the camera starts spinning Why around. Why would they leave the Malp there when they take the gate? Like, they don't know what this thing is. They just know that it came from the Towery. Like, take it off somewhere else and blow it up. Yeah, or, like, take it off to dismantle it and find out what it does. Yeah. It's weird that they just let it sit there. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we see time and again, though, that... The Jaffa and the Gould are, like, singularly uninterested and just, like, completely uncurious people. Yes. But sometimes, um, uh, you know, we've seen it in sci-fi before, but we've also seen it in real life. Sometimes uh, oppressed societies do get very close that way because they're trying to protect themselves. Yeah, and I think that, like, we've discussed before that we're, that we're pretty sure that the Jaffa are kept largely non-literate. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's so sad. Really oh, is. my heart just hurt a little bit. I've never thought about that before. Well, why do you think Teal'c is trying to, you know, like lead the free Jaffa resistance? Yeah, yeah. Which gets us to his second rousing speech. Mm. Oh yeah. <laughs> I actually have one more thing to say about the Stargate first, though. Say it. Okay, so I think we've talked about this before, but it's but still, it like just niggles at the back of my mind is that a word yes okay good uh i thought it <laughs> i'm was. an english major i know excellent uh the stargate shouldn't the chevrons shouldn't start lighting up when someone's dialing in because until you hit that sixth chevron you have no the the gate network has no idea what stargate is being dialed <laughs> that's a huge continuity problem <laughs> But it happens so often, and it just... Unless, like, every single gate in the gate network that it could be lights up, and then goes... Then the lights go away when it's determined that it couldn't be that gate. Sort of like when you're typing... Oh, yes. Headcanon accepted. That's amazing. Like, when you're... Like, those websites where you start typing in the text field, and it shows you all the options, and they slowly start to disappear as you add more text? Maybe it's like that. Yeah, and you're like, I don't want any of these, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's like that. I saw, like, a GPS once that, as you typed in letters, letters that couldn't go next got grayed out. Yeah. So if you typed, like, so if you typed, like, a Q, then, like, the R was grayed out, and the T, and, like, a bunch of other letters, because, like, there's no way that any of these are coming after this Q. Yeah, I've seen that on GPSs before as well. It's also on, uh, the PS4, and the, when you're searching for something in the PS4 store, it, it grays out any letters that you can't use. Yeah. I mean, another option is that, like, you dial the host gate, 
And then once you establish the connection, then it does like the weird dialing sequence on the other end, which that's strange. Makes more sense than all of the gates that could be light up. But it still doesn't make a lot of sense. No, no, no. None of it makes any sense at all. Including why you have to press the seventh chevron. Yes, you should never have to press the seventh chevron. The Taurid need to because they have the computer. Right, but on the... And they definitely do because they hit seven buttons and then the red glowy thing. Why is the red glowy thing not just the seventh chevron? Right. Anyway, sorry. Someone was asking this on Twitter earlier today and I like threw that out there as well. But anyway, we have had this rant before. I'm sure we will have it again. Let's go back yes. to Teal's second speech. <laughs> yes. So Teal gives his second speech, talking about the importance of the Jaffa rising up, because clearly, if they can be killed, they're not gods. It's fair. It's solid logic, man. <laughs> right. And he has personally been party to one god dying. He's been hang- He's been kicking around with the Tauri, who have killed another one. Unbeknownst to them, they're about to kill a third. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, it's a strong argument, but apparently not strong enough, because only, like, three people hang around. And then we get the Hammond reveal. Yes. Dun-dun-dun! And Braytac does the head thing again. Yeah, which you say is because he's bald, I say it's because it's to symbolize a hat, like what they wear in Texas. But how would Braytac know about hats in Texas? Because I... Seem to recall, like, the first time they're telling Braytac about Hammond, he's like, he's from Texas, you know, with the hats. And, like, Teal put his, puts his hand up. Maybe. I think they do it for the same way that they uh, do the Ferengi head wraps, because they don't want to have to worry about doing any more makeup in that area. Oh, no, no, no. we're not talking about Braytac's head. Or Braytac's hat. Oh. We're talking about the fact that Braytac, when he says Hammond of Texas, like... Almost. He always just like like gestures over his head. Oh, it I almost heard a hat, looked... and I was like, "Oh yeah, he's got that weird headpiece." I'm sorry. Yeah, well, no, because no, my right. argument is because when they were first telling Braytac about their leader, General Hammond of Texas, which is why he always says Hammond of Texas. You're right. That, that Jack may have been like, "No, no, no!" Like like Texas, where they wear the big hats, and Braytac was like, "Oh, I guess this hand gesture goes along with the name Hammond." <laughs> yeah, that's probably what it is. Eh, whatever. So. If yes. threading the needle is a game for the young, it is also something that requires an incredible amount of skill, which is why they hid away the ship for a hundred years. Mm-hmm. Why does Teal'c know how to do it? Hmm. That's a good question. <laughs> yeah, because Braytac does say that, like, he hid this one away. He doesn't say it's the only one in existence, but he does say that, like, they don't use it because it's so hard to fly. Yeah. So it's not, like, entirely impossible that Teal'c may have flown one before, but it's it's pretty unlikely. That's I did not, I'd not like think about me. that. Hmm. I wonder if it's, like, a, you know, a sacred tradition that is taught to you in secret, but then I don't, I truly don't know where he would ever have the opportunity to practice. Maybe it's something that First Primes all know how to do? Uh. Yeah, interesting. Oh, I like that theory. Yeah. Head cannon accepted. Okay. Boom. The other question about threading the needle is they just they're they're just activated the Stargate. Hammond is mm-hmm. sitting in the ship with Teal'c, and he asks What exactly did he mean by threading the needle? Observe. What did, what else could it possibly mean, Hammond? Uh, yeah, I, I feel like <laughs> like a rewrite of that could have been 
Teal'c, does threading the needle mean what I think it means? Yes, that would have been well, much better. the same better. thing here that it means on Earth. <laughs> right. You know, the same thing with your people that it means with humans. Yes. I feel like that was a really dumbed-down expository line. Yes. Because there wasn't enough, you know, faith put in the audience that we would understand. And I, I don't know if that's a fair concern or not. I think it was a bit of a fair concern because we didn't get to see the entire shape of the ship until it True. flies, until it comes out of the Stargate. If we had yeah. seen the whole ship when Braytex says threading the needle is the eyes is is a game for the young, and we see that the ship is actually shaped like a cylinder esque thing, we're like, oh, that's designed to go through a Stargate. But without that. It do- we did sort of need something else, so that's fair. Okay. And obviously they didn't want to do that because they didn't want to build an entire, uh, you know, ship to use for that scene. Yeah, which is very fair. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because, I mean, it's clearly like a Death Glider cockpit. Yeah. That's like, mm-hmm. yeah. But, okay, so earlier in the episode, Braytac tells he's 135 years old. And he buried this ship. Okay. Yes. And he buried the, yeah, because he said... Like, when, when Teal was helping him up. Okay. He's like, yeah, I'm feeling all 135 in my years or something like that. Yes. Yeah. Um, I know and, he's mentioned it before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he buried the ship 100 years ago when he was first prime. Dang. So he was first prime when he was 35. He's precocious. Because isn't Teal like, like 70? Barack Obama level inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> Not even that. Bar- Barack Obama was in his 40s. But he's considered to be young, you know, for a president. That's true. Yeah. But you're you are right. Not as young as Braytac. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and Teal, yeah. How old is Teal? Is that ever established? In like his sixties or seventies, I think. I think they do tell us. I know he's a lot older after the end of SG One. Yes. <laughs> yes. Many many years older. Yes. So he gets the cool little gray streak in his hair. Yeah. Yeah, it is cool. Well, it's cool, except in the Atlantis episode when he has dreadlocks and he has the gray dreadlock. That was less cool. Well, I always think dreadlocks are a questionable choice. Yes. Yeah. I'm, eh. It looks cool with short hair. It does not look cool with long hair. Yeah. Speaking of things that are cool, mm-hmm. how about the big, uh, you know, thing of liquid nitrogen or whatever that they chucked Hathor into? Okay, so yeah. last time... When we were watching on SG One, yes, on SG, <laughs> when we were watching Out of Mind, you asked why did they actually freeze them, and it was a fair question then. It's yes. still a fair question, and if Thank it you. kills Gould, why do they have it here? Well, you know, you just keep arsenic in your medicine cabinet, don't you? It's just like that. <laughs> I keep it right next to the old lace. Nice. Oh, that's a great film joke and a great comic joke. I'm very impressed. <laughs> Runaways was really good. Yes, it so was. good. Um, yeah, I don't. I'm yeah. I'm I'm still stuck on why they like were actually like equipped to freeze people. Yeah, like they built a completely working cro- and it, it was completely unnecessary for the ruse. Or was it the most necessary? I mean, obviously, well, we as it turns it, out, <laughs> yes, for the plot device to be able to. I know, I know, and that's like I said it earlier, like oh, because the script needed it, and like that's a bad answer. It is a um, bad answer. Yes. Even like we have again, we have Daniel and Sam here, who are both our you know geeks. So mm-hmm. even if it had been as simple as the that whole contraption was there, and they went behind it and switched a tube around. And we got a little techno babble. I think it would bother us less. Yes. Than just the fact of it existing. Yeah. 
Because they could have just knocked them out and then, you know, brought them back to consciousness and told them they were in cryostasis. Mm, true. Absolutely true. Maybe they didn't want their brains to suffer damage that long. I don't know. How long can you be unconscious before you get brain damage? It depends on how unconscious you are. Yeah. I mean, like, from a blow to the head. Well, I'm thinking, like, they put people in medically induced comas in the hospital. That's true. I don't know if that's the same as head trauma. I studied English, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, when I say knocked out, I was meaning that as a, you know... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like I didn't necessarily out. mean they like whacked him on the head. Right, but I think it's uh, uh, I think it's a fair assumption that they didn't go um, gently into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Mm, that's probably true. Yeah, but okay, it's maybe TV, and when you and you can yeah. totally just knock someone out. You can totally whack someone over the head to knock them unconscious, and then they'll be fine. It's TV. I know, and people die of stabbing so quickly on television. <laughs> You'd think, yeah, the, the two are definitely reversed in the because yeah, stabbing takes a <laughs> unless you're literally hitting someone right in the heart, stabbing, and even then, you had to like you got a good like so, I think you probably got a solid few minutes. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah, you're not getting new oxygen to your body, but you still have some. You're not gonna die right away. Yeah, and then we have and then we have the counter thing where someone gets like shot in the shoulder and they're high fiving somebody five minutes later. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and they're the hero, so they're they're also not bleeding as much as you would really expect them and to be. Anytime anyone gets a nosebleed, it means they're gonna die. Uh, unless you're in unless Japan, it, unless it's manga, yeah. So after they after they chuck Hathor into into the ice, which <laughs> the episode's called Into the Fire, so I'm feeling really let down. Mixed mm. metaphor there, right? Uh, I also thought about uh, Terminator. She had to be helped into the ice because she cannot self-terminate. I cannot self-terminate. <laughs> oh, nice. good call. I'm just glad to see that we will not have Hathor again. Yeah, that, that makes don't me happy. Love her? Does, no. <laughs> does anyone like Hathor? I mean, if we're if we're ranking go old villains, <laughs> she's, she's got to be like down bottom there. half, right? Yeah. <laughs> so Hathor was I can't remember now if I voted it as my as my least favorite or second least favorite episode in season 1. Uh It's bad. Yeah, it's really bad. I mean, so is um Emancipation. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Also known as Code of Honor 2.0. <laughs> oh, for real though. Oh my god. Same author and everything. Oh, I didn't know that. Wild. Don't let people write if they're not good. Please don't well, like so, that I wrote. So, <laughs> the weird thing is, that, that author, uh, Catherine Powers, wrote quite a few episodes of SG-1, and some of them are really good. But she also wrote the worst episode of Star Trek, and the, uh, the worst the episode of SG-1. <laughs> whose name I can't recall, but who wrote um, Measure of a Man, her second TNG episode is hot garbage. I can't Melinda think of Melinda Snodgrass. Yeah, her second episode is, like, not very good. Like, sometimes, which I I hope people can tell that I was making a joke, but sometimes (laughs) people uh, are really good right off the bat, and sometimes they grow into it. But it is interesting when you get a writer, particularly in, you know, serialized television, where they're really not great, and then they give you an amazing story, or when they go the opposite way. Like, you know, most most people are, like, solid down the middle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, everyone has a bad day. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> after she gets chucked into the ice, this is when we find out from the Tok'ra, or I guess I, like, it may have been like just before this, we find out from the Tok'ra that the cryo, the cryo was necessary to 
kill the symbiote inside Jack. So crisis averted. Uh, and we and we also find out that the generator is inside. Um, I can't remember exactly what the term that she would used, but it wasn't gate room or embarkation room. I think she said like you know it's hidden inside like your Stargate facility mock up or something like that. That's like, what so, she said so exactly th- that. Yeah. So like so this whole building right because this whole building is mocked up to look like the SGC. Well, there's the part with the gold hallways. That's true. But anyway, so they get to the gate room. Uh, Jack, you know, Jack pulls the lever, the other lever, Kronk, uh, <laughs> which then slides the wall back. And I have to ask you, CGI wall or real wall? Because it looked really good. I think if it, it was, was a CGI. real wall. It was obviously it was CGI gears behind the wall, but I think it was. A oh real yeah, wall. yeah, I think so too. I just like I had the episode open. I just scrolled over to it on the timeline. It does look good. So yeah. Yeah, and probably real with some effects on top of it, which is always the best way to go, if possible. I think that yeah, was yeah. actually a probably easy thing for them to do because they have these movable walls just in, by the nature of having to do these sets. Mm-hmm. Good call. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously the drainer generator was CGI, but I have to wonder, why did the CGI generator not have another smaller shield immediately around it? Mm. Like, that just feels like bad planning. Well, it's a fake facility. Are we yeah. really going to invest that much money in it? We got to get this up quick. They have a super powerful generator. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, brief tangent because I had to look things up because you mentioned it. Uh, we yet. don't do tangents on this show. No, as evidenced by this episode. <laughs> Melinda Snodgrass. Yes, her the other episode that she wrote was up the long ladder on TNG. Yeah, which is, there you go. Oh, I knew wow. it was terrible. The Space Irish episode. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe okay. the, I don't know if it's the worst, but it's up there. It's not as bad as Code of Honor. <laughs> yeah, but well, all right, you're right, you're right. <laughs> so my final note from the whole episode is yeehaw, <laughs> and I like Teal'c's uh, reaction to that. I thought it was an awesome moment. Uh, it was completely cheesy, over the top. Just what we maybe, want from Stargate. Maybe even unnecessary, but. I do like that Stargate can do that. Also, because I, when I was watching it, I was sort of watching it tandem with Battlestar Galactica, with, where there's no room for humor. Not so, much, no. No, 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 no. Uh, I thought that was a, I thought it was a great way to end the episode. There was a while there, yeah, where they had, it was Battle, BSG and Stargate, like, back to back on the same night on that sci-fi. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> It was like BSG yeah. and and then SG One in Atlantis, like all. One, it was like their bit. It was their Friday night sci-fi. Yeah, I remember that. I mean, it was a good time for sci-fi fans, but it is like an interesting juxtaposition between the two Stargate shows, which are you know, light-hearted but not like super campy. And it, yeah, it explains universe actually because it's like, hey, you liked these three shows on Friday night. How about we make them into one show? Right. Oh yeah, Universe is totally a reaction to a post BSG. I don't know actually if BSG was done by that point, but um the post creation of BSG world. I think BSG had just finished. Um I think that's part of the reason why it got a little lost. Like I think people enjoy Universe now. It's kind of like Universe. Enterprise. People can more people can see the value in that show, but I don't remember anyone liking it at the time. I was a little iffy on it when it began, uh, yeah. but the second season was was when I really got into it, and then, you know, right before it got canceled. 
Yeah. Oh. Now they're making a crappy comic of it. Yeah. Well, hey, speaking of which, they're actually, uh, by the time this podcast is released, our listeners will actually know what's happening. Uh, but GateCon is happening this weekend. And there is going to be some sort of announcement. I'm thinking it's going to be a new Stargate Origins because they rec- they renamed Stargate Origins Season 1 to Stargate Origins Catherine. So that makes it mm-hmm. sound like there's going to be another one. Hopefully it's better. Who would you want it to star if you if you were the EP? Okay, so what I'm thinking it might actually be, because Chris Judge is going to be part of the announcement, is that it's Stargate Origins Teal'c, which I'd be down for. Oh, that would I could definitely get down for that. Also, in a weird way, just because I'm weird and I would appreciate the pun, Stargate Origins Origin. Make it about the Ori. Oh my god, get out. <laughs> that would be cool. That title would kill me. That title <laughs> would be amazing. <laughs> no, no, that that's not an amazing title. It is. It's amazingly bad. It's amazingly bad You're right. they won't do it, but I I can dream. So do you have any more notes? Uh my other my final note is that like in that scene where Jack's being sarcastic with uh, mm-hmm. uh it's it definitely sounds like Richard Dean Anderson had a cold. I thought that too. Uh I didn't make notes because I'm not a professional, but <laughs> oh, I We don't get paid either, so well. <laughs> and um it's interesting because if it's Canada and they they must have shot outside for a couple of days, mm-hmm. there's a chance that he started shooting that completely healthy and got ill along the way. But good on him for still going out there and yelling. Yeah. He's a pro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And did you have anything, any last thoughts, Ashley? Uh, it's funny. I've been planning to do a rewatch of SG-1 for a long time. And so I think this preempted me into it. And watching this episode, I was just reminded of everything that is so good about the series. Like, I've really, truly enjoyed having an excuse to, like, oh, I have to sit down and watch Stargate. Um, (laughs) But I did forget how bad and how cheesy some of the ghouls are at the beginning because Ball is, like, one of my all-time favorite Stargate characters. And he's, like, just so sophisticated and such a good villain and you get more of jack mouthing off to him than maybe anyone else which is so satisfying As in so bachi? yeah oh my god <laughs> ball of course i dare you should know <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yes <laughs> is what i immediately thought of when he came out and you know yeah no ball was, was his mouth ball was great i was so glad that even in the post-Gould SG-1 of Seasons 9 and 10, that they still kept Ball around, even if they didn't keep any of the other Gould. Oh, yeah. They were like, we can't let this gem go. So when you guys get to that uh, era in about uh, three years, <laughs> let me know. Sure. I'll come back on. Absolutely. We'll chat Absolutely. about how great Ball yeah, yeah. is. <laughs> well, Ball show- yeah, first Ball- shows up in Season 6, so we could, you know. Well, that's true. Ball's an excellent villain. Also, uh, the thing with Ball, like... The thing with Ball that, like, stood out to me, I went to a fundamentalist Christian elementary school, so... Oh, boy. Uh, when Ball showed up on Stargate, I'm like, hey, I know that guy from the Bible! So that was kind of <laughs> cool. <laughs> I didn't even I, know he was in the Bible, that's wild. He's a Canaanite I knew him from guy. Diablo too. 
Yeah. Yeah, he was also in Diablo 2, but he was a Canaanite god that uh, the Israelites were always worshipping, and God was always punishing them for it. Oh, so he's responsible for idolatry, so he's an asshole even there. Yes. <laughs> Jeez, Ball, can't get a break. Not in a fictional universe, not in the Bible. Must be tough. Well, I think that about wraps up all the stuff we've talked about this episode. <laughs> but final thought, speaking of bad ghouled villains... Next week's episode, Seth. Mmm. <laughs> You're going to have the best time, guys. Hey, you know, but Seth, we may have Seth, but we also have Jacob, so... Yeah. <laughs> almost almost a fair trade-off. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I remember the episode for Seth relatively well, and I don't know why it sticks out of my head as compared to anything else. Yeah, I remember that one pretty well, too. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll find out for sure one way or another next week. Uh, thanks for listening this week. If you enjoyed this, you should also check out our other podcast, Delta Flyer. You can find and review both of our podcasts on your podcast player of choice, and you can also reach us at our email address, stargateweekly at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at Gamicus. You can find me on Twitter at Tyrannicus. You can find me on Twitter at Ashley V. Robinson. I don't have a fun name. <laughs> and you can follow the show on Twitter at Stargate Weekly. And that's our show. Yeah. <laughs>